this morning. Esther chapter 9, we'll begin reading in verse 14, and we'll read on through chapter 10, verse 3. And those who are going to Children's Church, you can head that way right now and join Miss Kathy. Thank you for reminding me, Miss Kathy. I had clean forgot. It's going to be fun in a few more years seeing how my memory is now. Every five minutes will be an adventure. Amen. So we're on our last sermon in the book of Esther. And Lord willing, we'll begin a series next week, not through a book, but uh, through a a theme, a, a topic in the Scripture. Uh, we're going to talk about the new birth, uh, regeneration. Uh, we're going to look at that uh, for somewhere around six weeks and uh, be praying about that and uh, asking God to really work through that as we try to preach that blessed truth that quite frankly doesn't get preached enough. And, so, and I haven't preached it enough. And so looking forward to that. But today uh, we will... Begin reading in chapter 9, verse 14. Remember, Haman's plot has been uncovered. Uh, he has been done away with. Uh, the king asked Esther, what, what do you need from me now? And she asked that Haman's ten sons, after they had already been killed, she asked that they be hung on the gallows. Uh, that's a pretty strong message uh, to send. Uh, that, that Haman had built for Mordecai. And so we pick up there, chapter 9, verse 14. And the king commanded it so to be done. And the decree was given at Shushan, and they hanged Haman's ten sons. For the Jews that were in Shushan gathered themselves together on the fourteenth day also of the month Adar, and slew three hundred men at Shushan, but on the prey they laid not their hand. But the other Jews that were in the king's provinces gathered themselves together and stood for their lives and had rest from their enemies and slew of their foes seventy and five thousand, but they laid not their hands on the prey. On the fourteenth day of the month of Dar and on the fourteenth day of the same rested they and made it a day of feasting and gladness. But the Jews that were at Shushan assembled together on the thirteenth day thereof, and on the fourteenth thereof, and on the fifteenth day of the same, they rested and made it a day of feasting and gladness. Therefore, the Jews of the villages that dwelt in the unwalled towns made the fourteenth day of the month Adar a day of gladness and feasting and a good day and of sending portions one to another. Mordecai wrote these things and sent letters unto all the Jews that were in all the provinces of the king Ahasuerus, both nigh and far, to establish this among them, that they should keep the fourteenth day of the month Adar and the fifteenth day of the same yearly, as the days wherein the Jews rested from their enemies, and the month which was turned unto them from sorrow to joy and from mourning into a good day, that they should make them days of feasting and joy and of sending portions one to another and gifts to the poor. And the Jews undertook to do as they had begun and as Mordecai had written unto them, because Haman, the son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, the enemy of all the Jews, had devised against the Jews to destroy them 
And it cast pur, that is the lot, to consume them and destroy them. But when Esther came before the king, he commanded by letters that his wicked device, which he devised against the Jews, should return upon his own head, and that he and his sons should be hanged on the gallows. Wherefore, they called these days Purim, and after the name of Pur. Therefore, for all the words of this letter and of that which they had seen concerning this matter and which had come unto them, the Jews ordained and took took upon them and upon their seed and upon all such as joined themselves unto them, so as it should not fail that they would keep these two days according to their writing and according to their appointed time every year, and that these days should be remembered and kept throughout every generation, every family, every province, and every city, that and that, and that these days of Purim should not fall, fail from among the Jews, nor the memorial of them perish from their seed. Then Esther the queen, the daughter of Abihail, and Mordecai the Jew, wrote with all authority to confirm this second letter of Purim. And he sent the letters unto all the Jews to the hundred twenty and seven provinces of the kingdom of Ahasuerus with words of peace and truth to confirm these days of Purim in their times appointed, according as Mordecai the Jew and Esther the queen had enjoined them, and as they had decreed for themselves and for their seed the matters of the fastings and their cry. And the decree of Esther confirmed these matters of Purim, and it was written in the book. And the king Ahasuerus laid a tribute upon the land and upon the isles of the sea, and all the acts of his power and of his might and the declaration of the greatness of Mordecai Whereunto the king advanced him, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Media and Persia? For Mordecai the Jew was next unto king Ahasuerus, and great among the Jews, and accepted of the multitude of his brethren, seeking the wealth of his people, and speaking peace to all his seed. Thank you for reading that lengthy portion with me. But I want to we're gonna pray again and I want to preach to you this morning on what a difference a day makes. What a difference a day makes. Will you pray with me? Lord, we've come to the central act of worship in any church service, and that is the preaching of Your Word. And and Father, I ask that You just uh, help me not just to preach, but to worship You as I preach. Lord, that You would speak to our hearts, that You would encourage, Lord, those who may be weary from the strife of of this world. Lord, that you would uh, encourage uh, those of us who are following Christ, Lord, to remind us of that there's a day coming in which we will rest. Uh, Lord, for someone who's listening who may not be saved, Father, that you would use this as a day of warning to them. Lord, whatever you would be pleased to do among us, we praise you in advance for it. We're already grateful for what you're pleased to do here today. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In an earlier sermon in this series, I began by saying that life is measured in years, but it's made in moments. Well, I want to add to that and say that while it is measured in years and made in moments, life for us seems to be marked by days. We mark our lives with birthdays, anniversaries, holidays, even days of the week. We look at Monday and go, ugh. And we look at Friday and go, yay. 
We all have certain days, and while we all have certain days that we look forward to more than others, there is a day coming for the followers of Jesus that we should all be looking for and forward to. It's a day that is foretold, that has been foretold since the beginning. We find it in the Scripture all the way through the Scripture. While we're even told in the book of Jude that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, whom we are introduced to in Genesis chapter 5, that he was a preacher of righteousness, and the theme of his sermon was the day of the Lord from beginning to end in the Scripture. And from the beginning of history, God has been warning us and encouraging us by telling us about this day. Enoch called it the day of the Lord. Simon Peter also referred to it as the day of the Lord. Some of the Old Testament prophets saw it, and they called it the day of the Lord. Why the Apostle Paul even called it the day of the Lord. But the Apostle Paul also seemed to have a, another pet name that he liked to use for the coming of the Lord. And it was either the day or that day. It's the day that he wrote about in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 12, where he wrote, I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. Oh, there is a day coming for the believer which is going to mark the end of the struggles of this life. All of creation groans in anticipation for it, Paul tells us in the book of Romans. All of history and a lot of current events even point us to that day. And all of God's people should be living in anticipation of that day. In Esther 9 and 10, we have a record of the Jews defending themselves in a struggle for life on the day that was to be the day of their death. They fought for their lives on the 13th day of the 12th month, Adar. But we're told uh, that for some, the 14th day of that month was a different day than the day before. And the 15th day of that month was a different day for all of the Jews in the kingdom. What a difference a day makes as we read this record in the book of Esther. It appears to me that the writer of Esther, whoever it may have been, uh, had... Uh, was preoccupied with dates, was preoccupied with a day. For we find the word day or days used 24 times in 32 verses. Now, I don't have the capacity to do the math on that, but that's a pretty high saturation of the word days, of the use of the word days in, in that many verses. Uh, now, listen, I've lived less days than some of you. And I've lived more days than others of you. But I've lived enough days to know that there's a different day that I'm looking for. There's another day for which my heart yearns and longs. It seems like we're living on the 13th day 
of the month Adar. And on the 14th day of the month Adar, doesn't it? And doesn't it all often seem like we're just caught in a struggle uh, just for for our existence. It seems like uh, we are caught uh, in in a struggle that we, maybe we didn't even ask for. But I've got good news for you. If you're a believer, the 15th day of Adar is coming. And it's going to be much different than the day that we live in now. And I want you to look with me as we walk back through the text and draw from it three things that we are going to do on that day that we're living in anticipation of. On that day, the day of the Lord, we will rest. We will rest. In verses 16 and 17 of chapter 9 and verse 18, the writer tells us that on the day after the conflict had ceased, the Jews rested. They rested. The Jews out in the provinces rested on the 14th day the day after their previously decreed date of death. In the capital city, however, it appears they took an extra day to vanquish their foes and rested on the 15th day of Adar. We'll explain that more in detail, and I'm going to tell you, I probably spent more time than necessary on making sure I had these days and dates right because it was a little confusing to me. Uh, but I think I've got it, so just bear with me, and if I give a wrong date or a wrong day, just act like I was right. That's what I usually do anyway. But for now, the point is that for the believer, there is coming a day which we will rest. And as we look at the text, we find two ways in which we're going to rest on that day. I believe that we will rest, first of all, comfortably. We will rest comfortably. In verses 17 and 18, we're told that the Jews, both out in the provinces and near the palace, all had a day of rest, feasting and gladness. And it had been a long time coming. They hadn't had any rest really since chapter 3 when Haman got the king to sign off on the law that all the Jews were to be killed on the 13th day of the month of the 12th month. They had fasted and prayed for Esther as she took her life into her own hands and went into the king uninvited. Their fasting and their praying was followed eventually by fighting their fasting, their fighting was followed at long last, however, by feasting and resting. Verse 19 tells us that it was a good day. I find it difficult, and maybe you do too, to take it easy when life is hard. It's difficult to be comfortable when there's conflict. However, when the strife and difficulty and conflict are over. We can breathe a sigh of relief and take some rest. And there's going to come a day when all of the conflict, all of the strife of this life, it's all going to be over and we're going to breathe a sigh of relief and rest comfortably in the peace of the moment. That's how heaven is going to be. It is going to be, among other things, a place of rest from the strife, from the difficulty, from the burdens, and from the grief of this life. 
In Revelation 6, 11, I've got some Bible for that, by the way. In Revelation chapter 6, verse 11, the souls of martyred saints who are crying out for justice are told to rest. In Revelation 14, 11, we're told that those who die in the Lord are blessed and will have rest from their labors. There's going to come a day when we won't be uncomfortable anymore. There's going to come a day when the storm will have passed over. The winds will be calm. The battle strife will end. The pain will have subsided. The tears will be dried. And we will be led by the still waters where all is quiet, all is peace, and all is rest. I've noticed whenever someone has suffered injury or illness, and they finally get out of the hospital, they get well enough where they can go back home, we tend to use one phrase to describe them. We say, and they are now resting comfortably at home. <laughs> but one day all of the injury and all of the illness of this life will have passed, and we're going to rest comfortably at home. Not only will we rest comfortably, but we will rest corporately. As we read verses 17 through 19, it becomes apparent that the Jews in the capital city near the palace were celebrating on a different day than the Jews in the provinces. In the provinces, they feasted on the 14th day. But in Shushan, the capital city where the palace was, they feasted on the 14th and the 15th days because they took a, an extra day uh, to take care of business. Therefore, verses 20 and 21 tell us that Mordecai wrote a decree that made sure they all rested together on the same days from that point forward annually. Every year they were to rest on these given days. Listen, we're all going to end our battle on different dates. We're all going to end our battle on different dates. Many of our beloved soldier saints of the Most High have already laid down their swords and are taking rest now. Some of us expect to maybe have a couple of decades left or maybe three dec decades left. Others of us, well, I wouldn't buy any green bananas. <laughs> But, <laughs> but whether in the near or distant future, we'll all end our sojourn on this earth at different times. But the Lord has decreed a day in which we will all take our rest corporately. We'll all take our full, our final, our ultimate rest on the same day. And the Apostle Paul tells us about it in 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17, where he explains, For the Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with the shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. And we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. On that day, we will all take our rest together, and it's going to be full, final, 
perfect, unending rest and peace. We won't be looking over our shoulder anymore. We won't be waiting for the other shoe to drop anymore. For even the last enemy, the worst enemy, has been and will on that day be completely defeated. What enemy is that? Well, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, 26, that the last enemy to be destroyed is death. And there's coming a day when death is going to take its final breath. And we're all going to rest together. On that day, not only will we rest, but we will rejoice. We will rejoice. The text tells us that the day after the Jews had conquered their enemies and eliminated the threat against them, that they threw a party. Apparently, they liked parties in the Persian Empire. This is probably the fifth or sixth party or banquet we read of. Apparently, ain't no party like a Persian Empire party because a Persian Empire party didn't stop. For those of you who didn't get that lyric, you can just wonder what I'm talking about. And the rest of us are going, did he just bust a lyric up there in the pulpit? Yes, I did. Google it, you might find the song. Then again, don't. Never mind. But as we look at their celebration, I'm very wide in my musical taste, you will find in time, I'm sure. As we look at their celebration, how did we get there? As we look at their celebration, we can see two things in which we are going to rejoice in heaven. We're going to rejoice in triumph. What we see in chapter 9, beginning in verse 18, it's the inauguration of the Feast of Purim. It was a victory celebration for the Jews when they had overcome their enemy. They still observe that to this day. But in heaven, on that day, we will rejoice in our victory. We will rejoice in that we have overcome. We will rejoice in that our foe has been defeated. We will eternally rejoice in victory. But here's the most important thing for us to understand about that, is that the victory is ours, but we don't win it. We're overcomers, but we don't overcome in our own strength. We are more than conquerors, but we don't conquer in our own strength. We are victorious, but we aren't the victors. We are winners, but we are not the ones who are worthy. For Paul said in Romans 8.37 that we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. Well, that's Jesus. Oh, and we're told over in 2 Corinthians 15.57, Paul says, but I thank God who giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. In Revelation 5, John saw all heaven break loose over the fact that the Lamb, Jesus, was worthy to take the scroll and that He has redeemed to Himself people out of every nation, every tribe, and every tongue. We'll rejoice in heaven because of Jesus, for He has won the victory and we get to benefit from it. He has won the victory. And He will award us with crowns. He fought the fight. 
He paid the price. He paid the debt. He paid the penalty. He took the punishment. He won the race and glory. Hallelujah. He'll give us the crown. Our victory is in Him. And on that day, we will rejoice. Oh, victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. He sought me. And he bought me with his redeeming blood. Hey, we are on the winning side and he wins the victory and we get to celebrate and enjoy it. We'll rejoice in our victory. We'll rejoice in our testimony. Verses 18 through 32 are not only the inauguration of the Feast of Purim, but but it's the explanation of it as well. Verses 24 through 28 explain that according to Mordecai's decree, Purim was set to be remembered for every generation. And as I said, they they still remember it. It's kept today uh, among Jews as a reminder that God had delivered them and destroyed their enemies in the same act. In heaven, you and I are going to rejoice in our testimony. We're going to rejoice over what He has done for us and not what we've done for Him. We are going to rejoice that He redeemed us sinners by His blood. We're going to rejoice and we'll give testimony to the fact that He is worthy. We're going to rejoice in His love for us. How do I know that? Well, I've read the book of Revelation and I know that when praise services break out in heaven... It always has something to do with the fact that the Lamb was slain for us. That we are redeemed by His blood, by His death on the cross and His resurrection from the dead. I know that we're going to give testimony to the saving power of the crucified, risen Lamb in heaven. It will be forever a feast that testifies to the goodness the sovereignty, the power, the providence, the grace, and the mercy of God. We will give testimony for eternity that it is not ourselves, but the cross, Jesus on the cross that saved us. Not ourselves, but Jesus risen from the dead that saves us. Not ourselves, but His Holy Spirit drawing us to Him, giving us faith to believe on Him. On that day, we're going to have a praise and worship service and we are going to rejoice in what He has done for us. We'll rest and rejoice. We will reign. We will reign. Chapter 10 is a very short chapter. But it says a lot about Mordecai. Or it tells us a lot about Mordecai. It doesn't give us a biography of him by any means, but we learn a lot about what happened to him after all of these events were recorded. It points us to our future. What happened with Mordecai, what we're told about in those three verses of chapter 10, it points us to our future as believers. Did I just say, did my voice just go up really high? I kind of sounded like Tucker Carlson for a second, didn't I? That's disturbing. But our future as believers is that we are going to reign on this earth 
with King Jesus one day. And on that day, there are a couple of things he's going to share with us. Get this now. He's going to share with us his glory. He is going to share with us his glory. Verses 1 and 2 of chapter 10. And the king Ahasuerus laid a tribute upon the land and upon the isles of the sea. And all the acts of his power and of his might and the declaration of the greatness of Mordecai, whereunto the king advanced him, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Media and Persia? The writer of Esther puts Mordecai in with the power and the might of Ahasuerus. And this is done because in Ahasuerus' own records, he had made a declaration of the greatness of Mordecai. The king shared the chronicles, the narratives, the record of his greatness and glory with Mordecai. Get this now. In eternity, Christ is going to share his glory with us, the believers. Paul writes in Romans 8, 16 and 17, The Spirit himself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and join heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. If we trust Him, if we follow Him, if we'll suffer with Him, then we will be joint heirs with Him. That means that everything that is His will be shared with us. What is His will be ours. I wish I had the vocabulary. I wish I had something clever to say that could help us fully understand what it means for Jesus to share his glory with us. But the truth is, I find myself at a loss. I find myself in the same chair with Martin Luther where I heard that he was studying on the words of Jesus from the cross where he said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And for a long time of contemplating and studying on that statement, it said that he threw his hands in the air and said, God turning his back on himself. Now who can understand that? Well, that's the way I feel when I think about Jesus sharing his glory with us. I just want to throw my hands in the air and say, King Jesus sharing his glory with us? Who could understand that? I have, I can't wrap my mind around it enough to say much about it. But I know this much. That one day, this old boy from East Tennessee that hasn't ever been much good at anything and has probably done a whole lot more harm in this world than he's ever done good. And one day, I'm going to be glorified together with Christ. One day, I'm going to be a joint heir with Him. I don't deserve it, but I believe it. And I look forward to the day when I'll share in His glory. And listen, so will you. So will you. 
for all of our faults and for all of our failings, for all the times we stump our toes, for all the times we fall on our faces, for all of the burdens, for all the discouragement, for all of the sins. One day, it's going to all be made perfect and He's going to share His glory with the likes of you and me. We'll rule and reign with Him. He'll share His glory. He will share His government. His government. Verse 3 of chapter 10. For Mordecai the Jew was next unto King Ahasuerus, and great among the Jews, and accepted of the multitude of his brethren, seeking the wealth of his people and speaking peace to all his seed. Mordecai played a big role in Ahasuerus' government. And God placed him there so that he could be of benefit to the Jews there in the kingdom. It was through Mordecai's being raised up in the government of the Persian Empire that the wealth and well-being of the Jews was sought after. It amazes me how I read the, the narratives of Scripture and I read the records of history and I find out that in every nation and in every place, even in the vilest of places, God has His people strategically placed where they can carry out His purposes. It's amazing to me. But Mordecai played a big role in Ahasuerus' government. He was second in command. Prime Minister, the big cheese, El Jefe, the boss, whatever other synonyms you want to put in there. But anyway, Ahasuerus has been promoted to second in command. And the king is sharing his government with this Jew who was set to die not too long before. Listen, if you're a child of God, a true believer in Jesus, then look at Mordecai and take a look at your future. One day, King Jesus is going to share His government with you. Let me read you some verses. In Revelation chapter 5, verse 10, the multitudes that are praising Jesus say, and we shall reign on the earth. In Revelation 24, the martyred saints sit upon thrones and rule and reign with Christ a thousand years. In Revelation 20, verse 6, John writes, Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with Him a thousand years. I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb here. And say that the probability is very low that I'll ever be so much as elected mayor of Lakeside. But that's all right. Because one day, I'm going to rule and I'm going to reign with Christ. And so will you. Like Mordecai. Like Daniel before him. Like Joseph before him. We're going to go from the prison to the palace one day. We'll go from being on death row as an offender of the law to a ruler with Christ. The King of kings 
the righteous judge, Jesus has raised us up as kings and priests, royal rulers, and we will reign with him on this earth. I'd be remiss if I didn't point something else out. The same event that was a victory, rest, rejoicing for the Jews, that same event was also a day of vengeance and retribution upon those who would do them harm. That day, the day that we're looking forward to. It is going to be a good, glad, great day for those who have put their faith in Jesus. But that same day is going to be a day of destruction, vengeance, and divine retribution and torment for those who don't know Christ. I said before you, even in this record from the ancient Persian Empire, I set before you today life and death, salvation or judgment, deliverance or destruction, salvation or eternal suffering. The same day from which and in which the believer in Jesus has been delivered will be to the unbeliever a day of destruction unless you will flee the wrath that is to come and repent and believe the gospel that Jesus Christ died for your sins according to the Scripture and that He was buried and rose again the third day according to the Scripture. If you will believe that, if you'll confess Jesus as Lord, you'll escape the wrath, the day of judgment that I believe is soon upon us. November 11th here in America is set aside as Veterans Day. It's another day that we mark. Veterans Day is rooted in Armistice Day, which commemorates the, the armistice that was signed uh, by Germany and the Allied powers. It was signed in a railroad car in France not in a palace or any big government building, in a rail car. Fascinating to me. It put an end to the hostilities between Germany and the Allied powers, essentially ending World War I, which has come to be known as the Great War. Well, I came by to tell you today, that there was an armistice that was signed by Jesus 2,000 years ago on an old rugged cross. He blotted out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us and contrary to us. And with the words to Telestai, put the stamp, paid in full on our debt. All oh, the armistice was signed by Jesus on an old rugged cross that stood on a hill just outside of Jerusalem. It signified the end of the great war for our souls. And it made peace between God and all those who will accept Christ's victory in His death, burial, and resurrection. But although the war is over, 
All skirmishes break out with the enemy from time to time. The skirmishes break out with our own flesh from time to time. But there is coming a day in which the trumpet is going to sound, signifying the full and final end of the war. And it will be over. And we will rest. And we will rejoice. And we will reign with Him on the earth. And on that day, more perfectly than we ever have before, we'll be able to wipe our brows, breathe a sigh of relief, and say on that day, what a difference a day makes. I'm looking forward to that day. I hope you're ready for that day. If you're not, trust Jesus and be ready for that day today. I want you to stand with me.